First thing uh, to say is that the doctrine of creation is a massive topic. Hundreds, if not thousands, of books have been written on it. So what we're going to look at tonight is by no means comprehensive, uh, but hopefully it'll give us a bit of an insight uh, into what the doctrine of creation is all about. We're going to be going right through uh, the Bible to various passages, uh, so a lot of the verses are going to be on the screen behind me uh, just to help us out. So the first thing we're going to think about is God is the creator of the universe. God is the creator of the universe. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. The first uh, most basic and fundamental thing to say is that God created everything in the universe. Whether it's the sun sitting 93 million miles away, or the Amazon rainforest, or Arthur's seat, or the ants in your garden, God created it all. I think this is something that we can often brush over very, very quickly and don't really appreciate what happened. Throughout the creation account, we see a repeated phrase of God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God not only created the whole universe, but he created it by his word. I know some people here have uh, powerful jobs and important jobs, but none of us could speak something into existence. None of us can start with nothing and create something. But that's exactly what God does. God created the heavens and the earth. God's word is immensely powerful. It always achieves its purposes. And I thought it'd be helpful for us to quickly wonder at how amazing creation is and how big the universe is. So let's just take the sun as an example. Uh, the sun is huge. I hope on the screen behind me we're going to have a picture of the sun compared to the earth. If you can't see the earth, then there should be an arrow pointing out. There we go. That's the earth. So if the sun was hollow, it would hold over one million earths inside it. And as we've already said, it sits about 93 million miles away. So if you drove your car at 65 miles per hour all the time, it would take you 163 years to reach the sun. But if we go even further out, we should have a picture of all that. There we go. Um, if we go to Pluto, Pluto is about 40 times further away than the sun. So traveling at 65 miles per hour in your car, it would take you 6,500 years to get there. And that is just a tiny, our tiny solar system within a galaxy, within a universe. I think one of the most understated verses in the whole Bible is Genesis 1:16, where it says, and he also made the stars. The Milky Way is the galaxy in which our solar system sits. It's estimated to contain over 100 billion stars. Some of them are 2,600 times bigger than the sun in the sky. Yet the Bible can simply say, and he also made the stars. Not only did God create everything, but everything he created was good. Six times in Genesis chapter 1, God declares his creation to be good. And then in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. The creation was perfect 
It was unspoilt, and everything was orderly without chaos. And the pinnacle of God's creation was mankind. And that brings us on to point two, God creates mankind. God is the creator of mankind. We know that man is the pinnacle of creation because it's the only thing in the whole universe that has the image of God bestowed upon it. If you have a Bible, um, we're going to turn to Genesis 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 uh, to 30. If you don't have a Bible, you can just put your hand up, and someone will come and give you a Bible. So we're just going to look at 20, verse 26 uh, to 30. So what does it mean uh, to be made uh, in the image of God? Well, hopefully these verses will help us understand a little better. Being made in someone's image is, um, means that we somehow reflect the likeness of that person. So being made in God's image means we somehow reflect what God is like. So firstly, we're made to be rulers. Just look down at verse 26 and verse 28. They tell us that God made us in his image so we could rule over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 28 again also tells us that God commanded Adam and Eve, the very first people, to subdue the creation. This means to overcome or bring under control. We're also told various things about God, and these help us uh, work out what it means to be an image bearer. Characteristics of God that we were also created to possess. Genesis shows us God is creative. He creates an amazing world of unimaginable beauty and complexity. God is a ruler. He can competently control everything he has made. He has no difficulty in controlling that which he makes. We also know God is morally admirable. Everything he makes is either good or very good. God is relational. He says, come, let us make them in our image. He also creates beings that he can relate to. If we flick over to Genesis 3, we see God walking in the garden where Adam and Eve are. Now, it's probably worth mentioning what being made in God's image doesn't mean. It does not mean that we're made to be equal to God. It also doesn't mean that God was six foot two with blonde hair and blue eyes. God is spirit. If we look at verse 2 of chapter 1, that's where we find that. But then, why do we have bodies? Well, the way we use our bodies to relate, the way we use our bodies to communicate, the way we use our bodies to have dominion over creation and enjoy physical intimacy makes embodiment necessary. Basically, to be able to fulfill our image-bearing responsibilities, we need bodies. We need bodies to do what God made us to do. God doesn't need a body. However, I don't know about you, but I don't see myself um, as someone having dominion over creation or someone who's morally upright in everything I do. So the question we're left with is what happened? How do we go from a perfect world to what we have today? Well, humanity took a huge fall, and the ordered creation was thrown into disarray and into chaos. Genesis 3 recounts how Adam and Eve rebelled against God. So God cursed them, throwing them out of um, the good creation he'd made. He threw them out of his perfect place, the place of goodness. 
And that means that our ability to bear God's image is marred and broken. The God who made us, the God we're accountable to, is now our enemy. We've made God our enemy by thinking we don't need him, by trying to usurp him as the ruler of the world. Thankfully, God didn't leave uh, the story there. It didn't end there. Over the next few thousand years, God channeled the whole of time and space and matter so that about 2,000 years ago, a man called Jesus came into the world. God entered history as a man. And that's our final point tonight, um, is that God saves both. God saves both. God creates the universe. God creates mankind. God saves both. Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life. He never once sinned or did something displeasing to God. He came into this broken world and lived among its broken people. God became man and lived among us. As we've been looking in uh, the morning at Hebrews, it tells us how he was uh, like us. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, but was without sin. Jesus, God's only son, the creator of creation, was sentenced to death on a cross. There he paid the punishment that we deserved. On a cross made from the very trees he spoke into existence, there he faced the wrath of God. The punishment we deserve for worshiping the created things, not the creator. For all those times we chased it after things like cars and money and big houses and fancy clothes rather than God himself. You see, God's right anger at our wrong rebellion was taken by Jesus. God's right anger at our wrong actions was taken by Jesus. This means that if we accept what Jesus has done for us, if we have faith in him, we can have a right relationship with God who created everything. So when that day of judgment comes, we can have confidence knowing that Jesus has saved us. But not only has he saved us, just listen to these words from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, God promises a new creation for those who trust in Jesus, a place of eternal goodness and perfection, without any sadness or death or crying. Isn't that amazing? God saves us, and God saves his creation. But then how then should this motivate us to pray this evening? I think there's three ways uh, this should help us to pray. Firstly, we need to say sorry. We need to say sorry for our wrong rebellion and ask God for his forgiveness. We need to accept what Jesus has done by taking that wrath that we deserved. Secondly, we can be thankful. God has created a wonderful world for us to enjoy. He could have given us um, a barren wasteland for a home, but he didn't. 
He gave us the world of the iPhone, the pyramids, the hanging gardens, the Amazon rainforests, the Outer Hebrides, kilts, and bagpipes. We need to be thankful for what God has given each and every one of us. Third way we can pray, we need to ask God for help to keep trusting Jesus. We need to keep trusting Jesus until that new creation comes. This world is full of trials and the horrible effects of the fall. So let's ask God to keep us trusting in Jesus and help us not drift away. And that's what we're going to do now. So if we just want to break into groups uh, with the people sat near you, groups of seven or eight, 